Hey, wintry day outside. Did you guys drive in the middle of the day? I was out there driving on 31, like, for lunch. They had salt on the road. It was super gray. It was misting. It felt like winter. Oh, it's cold outside. <laughs> All right, well, let's go ahead and get started, shall we? Let's stand. We'll sing together our first song, Trusting Jesus. contrast there and I was like hmm. I don't know sometimes songwriters when they sing, when they write this it's it's human nature to be singing when your way is clear right and happy and praying when the path be drear is that really what God calls us to do right what is the first Thessalonians 4:16 pray always right without ceasing right whether or not the path is clear or the path is drear I mean, we should be praying either way. And, I mean, it, do we pray enough? Do I pray enough? No, obviously not. But I was, I, you know, I had a conversation with a coworker this morning, and his name's Tyler. Christy knows him, and he he said, you know, one of the things that he's trying to do, you talk about losing weight and being on this contest and stuff, and then he said, I'm also trying to read my Bible every day. I was like, Wow, really? Yeah. You know, and so that does challenge me. I mean, you know, I, I I haven't made that commitment, and I haven't, and I. I don't, and uh, but that, you know to have a coworker come up and say that he doesn't go to church with me, you know we don't talk about church much, but that was one of the things he's like I'm trying to read my Bible every day, so that was that was a challenge to me, an encouragement to me too, but uh, I don't know we should be praying all the time, no matter the path, right? All right, let's do the fourth verse. Let's see how that. All right, let's sing it. Ready? Trusting Him.
first verse in there. And uh, go to the next slide in this verse. So here, this one. Now hear me while I pray. Take all my guilt away. Oh, let me from this day be holy line. Uh, you know, we are guilty. And, and one of the things, Pastor John, you brought up in Sunday preaching last week was, uh, you know, we hold on to the, the guilt of our past. And we let that discourage us. But it's it's in the past, and it's, it is under the blood. And that that is something, you know, yeah, I have that. I deal with that. I feel that. And uh, to know that, hey, that is forgiven. That That is under the blood. You can walk this way away from that. We can go forward to teach them, right? And we don't have to continue in that. And that was, that was a challenge to my heart. And right there, he does take our guilt away. And we don't have to wallow in the past, right? Because we all have it, and we all have sin. But we can pick up the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the, and the sword of, of sword of truth. And, you know, feed shot with the gospel of peace, share the gospel with others. We can do those things. All right, ready? Let's go to the next one. All right, may the Lord find us faithful. Thank you. 
Good to have you all here. Welcome. Those of you who are joining online, welcome. Good to see everyone. I've got a few things for you real quickly. First of all, that song we just sang, it said, uh, No man that seeketh after things of this world is a soldier who passes the test. What passage of Scripture is that based on? Anybody know? I like when songs are based on passage of Scripture. And that. Yes, in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I was asking them this morning, and nobody knew it this morning. For Brian, good for you. I've got a few uh, announcements for you and a prayer request. Uh, David made it to Guam safely, just so uh, you're aware of that. He left Monday morning early sometime, and sometime late Tuesday morning, he texted me to say, I'm in Guam with my family, so um, I'd ask him to let me know. So he made it safely. Uh, Pat Buchanan made it to Florida safely yesterday, so uh, continue to pray for her. Uh, Miss Irma is leaving for Florida next Tuesday, so she'll be gone. Both of those people will be gone for a couple months. Snowbirds as they go down, off down there. Um, pray for the funeral service tomorrow. Tomorrow's Barney's funeral. Uh, it's a, it's a um, memorial service. So uh, it's going to be at 11 o'clock, or 12 o'clock is the visitation, 1 o'clock is the service. Uh, if you want to, are able to come in, that'd be great. We have a men's meeting a week from this Saturday coming up, if you want to go. We'll leave here at 7.30, guys. Looking forward to that. It's a great time. Missions conference coming up later this month. See uh, Pastor Brett about any of those kinds of things. And then continue to pray for Robert. If you did not already hear, may I share the things that you told me yesterday? Uh, so... Uh, we, you already know his cancer has come back and it is terminal. Uh, the doctor said, on average, three to four years. Did I say that right? The, the uh, kind of cancer he's got on average is about three to four years of, of life expectancy. So just pray for Robert. He's ready. Trust in the Lord. And I'm saying, I think that. And he seems like he's doing pretty good. I, that's what he seems like, right? So <laughs> I'm sure he's doing pretty good when we're here to encourage him. And then he has his moments. So just uh, keep praying for him. And then I've got a I got an email from a pastor friend said uh, Pastor Daniel McL- uh, McLaymore's family uh, was in a traffic uh, tragic accident yesterday, so uh, pray for them if you would. His wife was killed. Uh, he was traveling with his their son and him and his wife were traveling on 65. He pastors at um, Bible Baptist in where was that town? find where it was, but I can share it with you. It's here in Indiana. Um, anyway, Portage, Indiana. So if you would uh, just pray for that pastor's family. Let's go ahead and open time of prayer, and then uh, you can remember those times when we have prayer time at the end. Father, we just ask you to bless our service tonight. Help us to grow in your grace. Help us to learn from your word, be challenged in our thinking, and allow you to just uh, draw us to your side through everything that's said and done. And we'll thank and praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week we did not finish this, so we're still on Adam. And uh, we're not going to try to get everybody, all right? So we're looking at people who are in the Old Testament who are also mentioned in the New Testament. So it's called spanning the Testaments. I'm going to tell you right up front, we're not really dealing, like if they're listed in the genealogies of Jesus, you know, sometimes they have a mention there. We're probably not looking at those people. People who were mentioned with, you know, with significance in the New Testament. We may or may not go through the list in Hebrews chapter 11. 
where there's a bunch of them listed, okay? So uh, if there's like a one-line mention, may or may not look at them, just depends on, on who it is. So we're just kind of working ourselves through just ones that I pick out. Just quite honestly, there's no, no specialness to this study. Uh, we're just kind of going through the ones that I think that uh, you might find interesting. So we started with Adam, and uh, we have not finished up there at all. So uh, we mentioned all these things 27 times. He's mentioned by name, anyway, in the scripture. Uh, the events where you know, he was created, he names the animals. That created quite a little bit of conversation from not just last week, but throughout the week. If people kept uh, asking me about that one, that time frame, and I'm just going to tell you I don't know the time frame exactly. Uh, we, I kind of mentioned in passing, you know, this period of innocence and how that, you know, perhaps whenever the redemption is complete, uh, you know, says they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And I said something like, you know, it's very possible that as God brings everything back, uh, you know, that might be how we spend eternity. And boy, that created... Uh, quite a stir, I guess. Not necessarily a stir in a bad way, but uh, the lady Sunday school class had a conversation about it. That's all I know. So okay, you can figure that one out. Uh, I have no idea. So I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to make you think, right? I'm just. That's all we're trying to do with this. Just enjoy it. Uh, then we walked through the events of the fall, uh, the curse. We did not. You know, we just looked at the curse, and we ended here with they were expelled from the Garden of Eden, right? So that's kind of where. It all ended. We asked the question, where's the Garden of Eden today? Nobody knows if it even is in existence. Uh, it might have been wiped off the face of the earth with the flood. It's very possible. Um, the Bible doesn't declare that it has to have been protected. The Bible does say that there was an angel given to protect the way to the tree of life, right? That, that's in there. So uh, anyway, uh, that's kind of where it is. So then we get to the births. Now, these births, or you say, well, that's not Adam. Well, yes, it is. These are the sons of Adam that we're looking at. Uh, and so it starts out by Adam knew Eve, his wife. So it is, it is really dealing with uh, Adam somewhat. But, of course, also we have his son. So she conceived and bear Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. By the way, stop and think about that phrase for a moment. I've gotten a man. What do you know about Cain? You only know probably one thing about Cain. What do you know about him? He slew his brother, right? He killed his brother. He was a murderer, and yet she starts out by saying, Eve says, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And she, she again bears his brother Abel, and Abel is the keeper of the sheep. Now let me show you. I just want to show you how this time frame works. Remember earlier we said, we don't know how long things were. How long were they in this state of innocence? We don't know uh, how long... Uh, was it, you know, with the naming of the animals, we don't know. How long was it until the first one was born, we don't know. Here's what we know. I mean, it, it's kind of odd because as we read through the scripture here, I mean, literally you go from verse 1 where they're born to verse, well, to verse 2 where they're already adults, right? Now there's a, one of them is a keeper of the sheep and the other one is a tiller of the ground. I mean... The Bible's not filling in all of those blanks. There's a lot of things happening in there uh, that we just simply don't know. And uh, so time just, you know, God can't possibly, well, God can. We can't possibly absorb every moment of history. Do you understand? So we can only skim it. We have thousands of years of history, 
it would take us thousands of years to walk through every moment of, of things happening all over. So we can't do that. We're just looking at it. So God just kind of moves along pretty quickly. Then we go to this. I, I say this. Pride rears its ugly head yet again. Why do I say that pride is the yet again concept here? Um, where else might we have seen pride in the first three chapters of Genesis? Okay, so when, when Satan is tempting Eve, he says, the pride statement, he says, God doesn't want you to eat of this tree because God knows that if you eat of that tree, you're going to be like God. right? So he appeals to Eve's pride from the very beginning. Now, some have said that pride is like the original sin. I don't know that you can say that. I'm just being honest. Uh, was Where does disobedience fit in? Where does rebellion fit in? Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, you, you can put all those in there. But there's no question that pride was used by Satan to lure Eve into the sin. And then, and then however it is that Adam came to that conclusion, the Bible says... He was not deceived. She was. He was not. And so he walks in with his eyes wide open. Uh, but, you know, there's some sense of pride there. So then we get to this next time where we're talking about Cain and Abel. It says in the process of time, it came to pass, that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of the flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering, but unto Cain and his offering, he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. Now, I'm going to interject something here, all right? So this is just, I'm not taking a stand. I'm going to tell you how many people view these. So some would really put an emphasis on Abel's offering versus Cain's offering based on what the offering was. Cain's offering, or Abel's offering, you know, was an offering of the firstlings of the flock. And some would say, well, you know, it was, a, it was an offering of blood, and Cain's offering was an offering of, of um, from the earth, and so God rejected it because of the offering. I'm not so sure, because there are legitimate offerings in the Scripture of being able to offer the things that Cain was offering. Not for sin. I will grant you that if this was an offering for sin, blood is required. But the Bible doesn't necessarily specify that it's an offering for sin. The Bible simply says that there was respect for Abel's offering and, and God rejected Cain's offering. Do you remember what God said to Cain? Remember how God responded about this? Yeah, if this you know if you're doing well, then don't worry about it. then the blessings will come. But if not, then sin lieth at the door, right? So I'm going to tell you that you know I I really think that this was more of a God looking upon the heart of Cain than it was God looking at the actual offering. That's just me. All right. Now I'm not going to argue. I know that if this is an offering for sin, you got to have a blood offering, but. Um, the Bible doesn't necessarily tell us that right there. So anyway, uh, you know what happens, right? So Cain, his, he's very angry. 
His countenance has fallen, and what does he do? He kills Abel. He does. The first murder. I mean, and when you read all of this, it's like, whoo, it seems like, you know, this all seems like a lightning speed. But I'm going to tell you again, there's time for these guys to grow up. Uh, these guys are now carrying on adult lives in that they are, you know, working the ground or working, you know, the uh, the livestock. And so uh, there is some time that's involved there. But wow, even with that time, no matter how much time it is, within one generation, Adam sins, and then within one generation, the first murder takes place. Now, it is interesting. What's not here yet? What has God not given to man yet? Uh, and he won't do so until Moses. Hint, hint. The laws and rules. So, um, I'm going to ask you this question. Does Cain know that murder is wrong? Sure. We know that he does. And here's one of the ways we know, because he lies about it, right? Uh, so, Cain talked with Abel's brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field, uh, that Cain rose up and, against Abel and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean he's, we, we know. We know that Cain knows that this is wrong. So how does he know? Oh, okay. So he's uh, before before Cain actually kills Abel. God's telling Cain, "You need to look at yourself, right? Sin lies at the door. That's one. How do we know? So there's this thing called the conscience, right? Now, according to Jiminy Cricket, you should always let your conscience be your guide. But that wouldn't be a good thing. Why should we not let our conscience be our guide? We yeah, it's too easily it's too easily influenced by everything else, right? Our heart is feeble above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But we've talked about this before, right? You don't have to. It, it is an amazing thing when a little kid is doing something that they've been told not to do. When I say little kid, I'm talking about a one and a half, two year old, right? And you've told them not to do this, and that little kid will watch them. They will sneak, right? They'll, they'll take some, they'll put it behind their back. They, they automatically know. Nobody has to train them to do this. Uh, this conscience is there. There is built within, so that literally, uh, you know, that's when we get to Romans chapter 1, that is why God is very clear to say, even, even the heathen that has never heard the word is still going to be held accountable for it because God has already, you know, he has already given everybody enough light to respond to uh, in their conscience. Now, we can sear our conscience, we can mess up our conscience, even as Christians, we can mess up our conscience. It should not be our guide. But we go from this, this dispensation of innocence to this dispensation of conscience where man is literally living out, you know, their relationship to God based on, dare I say it, based on feeling. You know, it's like, oh, you know, they... This makes me feel guilty, this doesn't make me feel guilty, whatever. You can say this however you want, but there's this conscience that's going to be there guiding. Uh, so that's kind of what's happening here. 
uh, Abel or Cain absolutely knows that he should not have killed his brother. He knows it's wicked. He's lying about him. I'm my brother's keeper, he asked. Uh, and he said, oh, God being the one that he hears, said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened up her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. You remember, what's, what's Cain's reaction to God's rebuke here? See this? It's too much of a burden. God, you have, you have put too much on me. Now, by the way, what is, this is interesting. What did God not require of Cain? His life. Think about that. Because later on, you know, if you take a man's life, not, not even later on in the law, later on in Genesis chapter 9, right, uh, when Noah lands, uh, the ark finally lands, and, and, you know, God makes a declaration about if you take man's life, then you have to give your life. By man shall your life be taken. And so it, it becomes, you know, it's a big deal, but that's not there yet. And so Cain slew Abel, and God doesn't require his life, but God simply puts this burden upon him, this punishment. And Cain says, it's too much to bear. Why don't you just go ahead and kill me, God? And God says, not only am I not going to kill you, but... You may know what else God says? I'm going to put a mark on you so that anybody who tries to kill you is going to have is going to feel my backhand, right? I mean, God says, no, I'm, no way. You're going to live with this punishment. This, uh, this concept here with Cain begins to bring something up for us uh, that has nothing to do with this lesson, but it's just kind of an interesting place to put it. Um, the Bible says that we ought to avoid foolish and unlearned questions, right? But this is a question. There's a question that always comes up about Cain. What is it? Where did he get his wife? You know, because remember how I tell you that the Bible just kind of moves in lightning speed here? So Cain kills Abel, God curses Cain, and then the Bible says, and Cain found a wife. And so I'm going to ask you, where did Cain get his wife? It was a sister. It had to be a sister. Um... You know, Adam and Eve are still having kids. Uh, we've recorded Cain. We've recorded Abel. Uh, we're going to record another one in just a moment. Uh, you know, God is anyway. But, but the reality is, the Bible declares it, that they had multiple kids. In fact, uh, they lived, Adam lived 930 years. Did he live 930 years? So the Bible says. So yes, he lived 930 years. I don't know, I, anybody, does, does the Bible give us Eve's age? I don't think so. Anybody know? I can't remember that off the top of my head, but I don't think so. So Adam lives 930 years. Let's assume Eve's in there someplace. How, how many of those years were they having babies? I mean, think about that. I don't think that they passed the, their prime at, uh, you know, 45 and 50. I don't think that's the way it worked in, in, back then. It's in, any more than their bodies would uh, die at uh, 75 and 80. So uh, they're having this, it's all kinds of kids. Why was Cain allowed to marry his sister? 
Yeah, when you're dealing with people on the planet, guess what? Now, there are some practical reasons for this, too. Down the road, in fact, it's actually quite a ways down the road, but God says, okay, this needs to stop. So if you've ever listened to Ken Ham, you might have been able to put some of these things together. But Ken Ham helps us here. He really does. But what's the main reason why we need to uh, no longer marry close relatives? Besides the fact God says don't do it, which is all the reason we need, but why would God make that declaration? Deformities. They weren't happening then because the genetic pool hadn't been as corrupted, but as sin came in and, and greater uh, things were coming to, about, then our, our genetic makeup weakens, right? Not, not gets stronger. Uh, so Ken Ham, I, I love this. You know, Ken Ham, think, this is true. This is not just I love it. This is an absolute truth. Genetically, Adam and Eve carried all the gene codes necessary for every color and distinction, body distinctions of every person that would ever be born, right? I mean, literally, just like a, some, a brown-eyed person marries a blue-eyed person and they can have a brown-eyed baby or a blue-eyed baby, depending on how the genes get together and depending on which dominant genes each one's carrying, right? We understand that, that gene. Remember that when you studied that in high school? Say what? Change that to what? Oh, I have no idea. All right. Okay, maybe they changed the gene eye color. I have no idea. All I know is I've got a brown-eyed kid and a blue-eyed daughter-in-law, and we've got a blue-eyed grandson. That's all I can say. So, but here, here's the point. Adam and Eve might literally have had a child that looked Chinese and a child that looked African-American and a child that looked... They had all the gene codes for it, right? They had all those genes were already in them. They literally could have had... I mean, over the span of hundreds of years that they're having children, they might very well have had kids that spanned all of those things because the, the potential was there, right? That's just an odd thing. So, so the, gene co the gene pool was such that they could intermarry and it wasn't a problem. But as sin continued to have its corrupting power on, on genetics, there came a point where God said, this no longer should happen because we know now that, you know, when people who are too closely related, you know, create uh, or procreate, they risk, they have a high risk of having deformities, et cetera, et cetera. We know that. We also know now, you know, this is an amazing thing. Let me, I'm going to show you how that, how that sin impacts the gene pool, so to speak. Uh, think of all the diseases. I know that, truthfully, every disease has sin as its, as its foundation. I know that. But think of how many diseases are attached to what the Bible would call sinful behavior. I mean, just think about that. There's a moral aspect to many diseases. Uh, AIDS being the one that just jumps to mind right away, right? There's literally, literally... Uh, you know, you, 
I'm going to assume that there's no one in this room in danger of, of getting AIDS. You, don't, you, you can only get AIDS by immoral behavior now, especially since we've taken it out of the blood, the blood bank, right? Now, we used to pass blood around in the blood bank, and that was an issue. But you have to be engaged in some kind of immoral behavior, whether it's drug-related or, or sexually. You have to be in, engaged in immoral, immorality to get AIDS. Yeah, that's why. Isn't it amazing they don't check you for AIDS all the time? I probably, I, I think I've told you this, but I've been checked for AIDS four times in my life, probably more than anybody else in this room. Every time we adopted, for one, we had to get uh, an AIDS test, and one time for an insurance policy, I had to get an AIDS test. But back when I was 20, when I was 16, I was in a car wreck and in the hospital for about, I don't know, eight days, nine days. That was in 1977. Well, all of the information about AIDS came out in about 1980. And then they realized they'd been putting tainted blood into the blood banks. And so everybody from a certain period of time was asked to come back in voluntarily and be tested. So I'm, a, I'm 20 years old and I'm told, you know, you need to come and be tested for this horrible disease that, by the way, 20 years old and you're in the ministry and if you you try to explain that one away any, any way that you want if you've come up with AIDS you're just you know you're you're dead in the water when it came to ministry that was going to be a bad thing uh, didn't have it but still anyway so it brought me in to, so I've been tested for AIDS four times probably more than anybody but it is interesting so Cain's wife was his sister if that bothers you I don't know what else to tell you uh, but I would just try to avoid those questions. There's not that big a deal, right? Then we have the birth that makes a difference. Uh, in Genesis chapter 4, the Bible says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. For God, she said, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son. And he called the name, his name Enos. Look at the last line here. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, I don't know how much time has passed from when God created Adam and Eve. Here's what I know. There's been time for them to sin, get expelled from the garden, have kids, for murder to take place, from adult children, uh, for their... Uh, you know, other adult son to marry and have kids, Cain, for Seth to marry and now have kids, and Enos comes around. I don't know how much time is involved in this, but it's to that point, however much time this is, and I, I think the Bible probably, well, I'm not sure if the Bible gives it to us yet. Uh, the Bible starts telling us when so-and-so is this age, so-and-so is this age, and you start putting things together, but don't think they've, God's given this to us yet. But uh, So here's Enos, and about that time, men began to call upon the name. What does it mean for men to call upon the name of the Lord? Say it out loud. To pray. That's what it means, right? To call. So what were they doing before? I want you to stop and think about this. Okay, so for one, in the garden anyway, Adam spoke directly to God, right? And so there was no reason for what you and I think of as prayer. Prayer is conversation with God, so technically that's what was taking place. 
but you know there's no reason for prayer. So seemingly there is a time in which men aren't having conversation. Right? When 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 Adam's expelled from the garden, the Bible doesn't necessarily tell us, but implied is this personal contact with God is over. Right? Implied is you're out of the garden and now things are going to be different. So, you know, their conscience is really a big deal at this point. They're really living out based on, you know, what their conscience is telling them is right and wrong as they're living out. But finally then, uh, Seth has a son, and at that time, men begin to pray. What is involved? What What is required? What? I don't know that it's a new concept. I shouldn't say it that way, but at least new into the first five chapters of the book of Genesis. What What, what is required to pray? What does it take to pray? that perhaps Adam didn't have to do in the garden. Faith, that someone is listening, right? Adam didn't have to wonder if God was listening. He's having a conversation. But now, you know, men are going to start praying, and it's literally an, an exercise of faith here, that, that a realization that God hasn't left us and deserted us, that there's there's still a God who's listening, and from this point forward, men begin to pray. They begin to call upon the name of the Lord. Um, I, you know, it, it'll be interesting one day to have a better understanding of how this all works, especially for the few years beforehand, right? Uh, how it was that everybody else was living until this point, but. The Bible literally declares there's a moment in time in which men begin to call upon the name of the Lord, and prayer becomes a part of what men are doing. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's interesting. That brings us to the line of Seth, and Seth, of course, is the lineage, is the, the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus Christ. You know, it's the line of Christ is going to come through Seth. And so, uh, that's you know how this all begins to pan out. That's why it's the difference-making birth. Uh, there's just a uniqueness that happens when Seth is born, and uh, Eve literally you know says, uh, "God has given me a man to take Abel's place." And so um, there's just a uniqueness to this birth as God begins to to work there. Now, sin still having its uh, its great impact, right? I mean, it's not like all of a sudden men are living for Jesus. Don't misunderstand. Because in just a few chapters, uh, God's going to destroy the whole world because of sin, uh, minus the eight people that are on the ark. So that's coming up really quickly. Uh, in fact, what chapter does that happen in? Chapter 6. So in the first six chapters of Genesis, you've got over a thousand years of people living, and you've got... Um, you know, a lot of these big events, but it's all contained in four chapters of the Bible, so we don't have a lot of details from point one 
to the flood, we're not given a whole lot of details, and uh, uh, just you know, it's just time is running quickly. In fact, Lord willing, I'll have my timeline ready, uh, but I'm trying to develop a timeline because I can't find one that I like anyway. But um, it is an amazing thing. Adam lived 930 years. Noah literally would have known someone personally who personally knew Adam. I mean, I want you to understand the the time frame in this. Adam lived 930 years, and the flood happens shortly, in Bible terms, shortly after Adam dies. And so while Adam and Noah weren't walking on the face of the planet uh, at the same time, Noah would likely have known someone who actually met Adam. You know, I mean, it's that's how close these things are. Uh, it's it's phenomenal. Um, what would make you want to live to be? I mean, 930. Think about that for a moment. Uh, we were talking about this this morning. What would make you want to live 930 years? There is something. What would make you want to live 930 years? Good health. That's exactly right. You know, the reason why we say, you know, we start getting to be uh, the age that I'm at, we're like, you know what, okay, I, can, I understand why it is that people start looking forward to heaven. But the reality is, if I'm still at childbearing age at 470, do you understand? I mean, it changes our perspective completely. Uh, and so, but what is amazing to me that even people who have bad health, who have suffered for the last three, four, five years with some kind of thing that's just been difficult for them, on their death, they still are gasping for holding on to life for everything that they've got, right? And even then, so it's like, it's don't panic that Adam lived 930 years and you think, I would never want that. Yes, you would. You would want it if you're, if you're feeling like, you know, you're in your prime at 600, then, you know, that wouldn't be so bad. Uh, you know, so I'm just telling you. So I had a, uh, I've told you this before, but I'll tell you again because nobody seems to remember it. Every time I say it, everybody's like, wow, like you're hearing it for the first time. But my great, great, great grandmother was born in 1835 and died in 1949 at 114 years of age. Oldest living person in the U.S. when she died. Um, and I've often thought, I mean this, I've often thought, here it is, she's turning 80, and everybody says, we better get together for Christmas this year, it might be Grandma's last one. You know, 34 years later, think about that, 34 years later, Grandma's still kicking, and those people are probably gone by then. It's like, uh, there's a disadvantage. Can you imagine being Adam and living to see all the things that he saw? And know that it's all his fault. You're living to see your son kill one of your sons. You're living to see, you know, what is leading up to God destroying the planet. And you're seeing it all. 930 years. That, that's the part that would make this a little tough. But anyway, so then we get to this part about Adam. He is a type of Christ. 
Uh, and so there's some interesting things here. So wherefore as by one man sin in the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Who is that one man that sin entered the world by? Adam, okay? We're, we're given that clearly uh, in other places, but right here we're just given it in two verses later. We're ta- it talks about Adam. So, by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin. Death passes on every single human being because Adam sinned. Not because Eve sinned. The Bible says Eve was deceived. The Bible also says Adam, not being deceived, eyes wide open, walked into sin, and, and chose to, to bring sin into the world. Let me ask you something. Did God know this was going to happen? Remember those foolish and unknown questions? I'm going to give you another one. These are things that people will ask you if you talk about things enough. If God knew this was going to happen, but God created man anyway, doesn't that make God the author of sin? Say that out loud. He gave us free will. Remember... Remember the idea of being made in the image of God. The great thing that makes us in the image of God, not our shape, not our body shape, right? Uh, male and female, made, he made us. It's not about our body. It's about, you know, who we are. But the great, the great thing is that we have will, that we make choices. Animals live by instinct, right? Now, I'm, I know that you can train animals to do things certain ways. I, I'm aware of how that train, but it's called training, and I'm aware of how that works, but animals aren't making conscious choices. Uh, you and I are. We make conscious choices. We have a will. Now, you know, it, it is, you know, God, God could have said, you know what, I am not going to allow this to take place. Yet, the Bible teaches us some things. It's kind of an unusual thought, but here's the idea. And I know that I'm taking things about a God who you and I can't begin to fathom, and I'm trying to put them in a nutshell, right? And so that never works. Illustrations about God always fall short, always, uh, because God is greater than our illustrations can possibly be. But here's the idea. Literally, God, who is not taken by surprise, who knows before what is going to happen. The Bible calls it in first, or I think it's first Peter. The Bible calls it foreknowledge. In fact, it actually says, according to the foreknowledge of God. What's the word that comes before the phrase, according to the foreknowledge of God? Elect. Elect. Chosen. According to the foreknowledge of God. So the Bible says. So God, here's, here's the idea that God, God's saw into the future and said, if, if I create the world, Adam's going to sin, plunge man into sin, the only way I can have fellowship with mankind is to deal with their sin, to provide a way for that sin debt to be taken care of, and I can then do that through my son, Jesus. And if I do that, these people, I'm going to your right on purpose, you know, but you know, remember the left and right concept in the scripture, those on the left, those on the right, these people will accept my son, and these people will reject my son. I know that. It's foreknowledge. I know it ahead of time. And 
I choose to carry this out. And from that aspect, we were chosen. Now, it's not... I want you to notice it's that we were chosen, not a we were rejected. There's a big difference because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come. He gives us a will. He made us in his image and allows us to carry out that aspect of his will. But, you know, here we are. And so, but God is not the author of sin. The Bible says things like this. God cannot be tempted with sin, neither tempteth he any man. Right? Uh, he cannot say, when people say God can do anything, we even sing a song. God can do anything, anything, anything. God can do anything. But the song actually goes on to say anything but fail, right? But the reality is God can't do anything. God can't lie. God can't change. God can't sin. Right? I mean, these are, he's limited by his own holy character. Uh, and so, uh, you know, when we say that, we need to understand what we're saying. God, there's nothing too hard for him to do on the righteous side, but it's all going to be righteous. But anyway, so uh, then he goes on in verse 14, still Romans chapter 5. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Now I want to catch this. Even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. They didn't sin the same way as Adam did. Adam's sin was unique. Adam walked in the garden with God. And said no to God. You and I, and no one after Adam was given that chance, right? I mean, only Adam sinned that way. And yet, in spite of the fact that, that no one else sinned the same way Adam did, death reigned. Because that's what happens when sin enters, right? So death reigned from Adam to Moses. Um, what happens with Moses? What does Moses bring? The law. And so the law is given for what reason? Schoolmaster to teach us. The law is given to teach us what sin is. So, so here's the point. We, you know, our conscience is guiding us back then. And we don't have the law yet, but we're figuring out what's right or wrong based on our conscience. But God begins to define it because he wants us to clearly understand his holiness and what what it is that is required of us in order to match or to meet his holy demand and to recognize, you know, Paul tells us it was given in Galatians, it was given as a schoolmaster to teach us, we can't possibly do this. We can't possibly live up to the holiness of God. We have to be made righteous because we can't do this on our own. We're made righteous through Jesus Christ. So, uh, Sin reigns, we're not, even though we didn't transgress the same way Adam did, who is the figure of him that was to come. Verse 19 says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. How many were made sinners by one man's disobedience? Look back at verse 12. How many were made sinners? All, right? Everybody's impacted. Don't misunderstand that. But by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. So by the righteous, by the disobedience of one, shall, so by the obedience, I'm sorry, of one, shall many be made righteous. Now, this is trickier, all right? The blood of Jesus Christ. Whose sin did it pay for? One man's disobedience, 
all were made sinners by the obedience of one man. I mean, the righteousness of Christ is available to every single one. The limited atonement concept is vile. It's, it's a vile concept. There's no limited atonement. Not for our sins only, the Bible says, but for the sins also of the whole world. You know, so let's, let's not limit the, the grace of God or the blood of Jesus Christ. But you know, the, just, as, just as clearly as sin impacts everybody, the righteousness of Christ impacts everybody we have now an option, though. We do have a choice, and this is where a choice has to be made. Uh, we need to accept the righteousness of Christ, and to reject it is to do just that. The Bible is very clear about uh, our responsibility to accept or reject. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more shall they which receive abundance of grace and the gifts of righteousness shall reign in, my, in life by one, Jesus Christ. So I'm running out of time. Uh, let me finish this up. This is an interesting thing you'll find. The only time Eve's name is mentioned by name, four times in the whole Bible. Four times. Now she's mentioned, right? Adam knew his wife and they conceived. She's mentioned, but not by name. Only four times by name. Genesis 3, uh, Adam called his wife Eve because she was mother of all living. Genesis 4, Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have uh, gotten, uh, knew Eve's wife, and have gotten a man from the Lord. Then 2 Corinthians 11, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. In Christ. And so she's used as an illustration here by the Apostle Paul to say, Listen, Eve was, Eve was, uh, was, Deceived because the devil's subtle. So Christian, listen up. Don't think that you're not susceptible. That's what Paul's saying. Uh, you know, so I, I, he says, you know, uh, I'm concerned that you guys, lest by any means, the serpent beguile you. And then Timothy, of course, says Adam was first formed, then Eve. Uh, so uh, only four times by name, but uh, we'll finish up here about Eve, and then I've got to let you go. Um, the eyes of the Lord were open. I want to show this one. This is, just, this is important. Genesis chapter 3. The eyes of them, what's the word? Both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. I want you to catch this. Ladies, you are, remember we talked about equality last week. And, and the reality is, you are made in the image of God just like us. There's nothing in the scripture that, that makes you lesser or even greater than us, right? We're equal. It takes the same blood of Jesus Christ. When they sinned, both of them were impacted. Both their eyes were opened. But look what else it says. And uh, take a look at uh, verse 21. And unto Adam, talking about God, also and unto his wife, did the Lord make coats of skins and clothed them. So not only not only did sin open both of their eyes or make you know make them both realize that they were sinning, but God clothed both of them. He's very specific about this. So salvation is open to you as well, and and God holds you. You and I we're all going to give an account, right? Every one of us. 
then, of course, in Timothy, it says that Adam was deceived, but the woman being not being de- no was not deceived. I'm sorry, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So, uh, these are the things that teaches about Eve. So now we've got Adam and Eve, and we've kind of squeezed their sons in there, and that's the end of our first lesson. Finally, as we uh, get this done, all right? Uh, you've only got a couple minutes of prayer time, but if you'll take it to pray and remember, if you would, that the pastor. Uh, who's now going to bury his wife and uh, and uh, those who are traveling. And you're dismissed when you finish praying. God bless you.